Redistricting reform is imperiled today in the Senate. I'm Kathleen Burke, Project Coordinator for Fair Districts New Mexico, a project of the League of Women Voters and 25 supporting New Mexico organizations. Committed to achieving fair and transparent redistricting in New Mexico, fair to underserved communities and favoring voters themselves, not the lawmakers. We've asked you to join us today to talk about Senate Bill 199, the Redistricting Act, which was written by esteemed co-chairs of the New Mexico First Redistricting Task Force, who are with us today. They are retired Supreme Court Chief Justice Ed Chavez and retired Court of Appeals Chief Judge Rod Kennedy, again, both panelists. Senate Bill 199, the Redistricting Act, offers New Mexico a transparent nonpartisan redistricting process devoid of gerrymandering via an independent redistricting commission. The bill is sponsored by Senator Ortiz Epino and Senator Moores, both planning to be with us today. I want to draw your attention to that Democrats and Republicans are supporting this bill in the Senate as in the House as well, where there, where there are today over 40 co-sponsors from both parties on these bills. So far, Senate Bill 199, the Redistricting Act, Act, sponsored by three Democratic senators, has not received a hearing. Meanwhile, Senator Ivy Soto last Friday filed Senate Bill 15, a redistricting bill which does not resolve the problem of gerrymandering. Yet, it maintains the failed redistricting process New, Mex New Mexicans have been subjected to since statehood. We assert that Soto's bill would present an enormous, an enormous opportunity cost to voters' rights. We don't have time to waste. We only redistrict once every decade. The Senate killed legislation to form a state ethics commission for nine successive years. We must not accept the status quo of a watered down redistricting bill, which would portend further injustice to voters and taxpayers as the cost of gerrymandering lawsuits runs into the millions of dollars. We need your help to get the word out and let the Senate know that New Mexicans want fair and equitable redistricting as prescribed by the 2020 New Mexico Redistricting Task Force. The New Mexico Senate must not be where good governance legislation goes to die. Let us address these pitfalls of this watered down redistricting bill and status quo redistricting process we're happy to take your questions. Thank you. As always, I have several questions, so I'll ask one or two, pause and see if other media have, because I'm sure we're gonna ask the same questions. Every All of us are interested. Uh, I'd love um, any one of you, starting with the Senator, to explain to me just as a normal, typical, average layman guy in New Mexico, why is this important to me? Well, I think there's there are two reasons uh, they come to mind immediately, and, and I'm sure the, the justice and the judge and Mr. Gorman, uh, who is also on that uh, redistricting uh, task force, would have other things to bring up as well. But for me, the I think the thing that the, the, the public might find most uh, impelling about or compelling about this um, uh, legislation is that each of the last couple of redistricting efforts have wound up in court, have cost the taxpayers of the state a great deal of money, and ultimately have had to be resolved by a judge, uh, a single judge uh, uh, operating uh, 
um, uh, as the final uh, decision maker in, in what the redistricting act would look like. And, and it, it costs the state a great deal of money in terms of paying off the lawyers, uh, paying the legal fees for all the different parties involved, not just the state's own, but the, the legal fees are all the, the litigants. And so I think, you know, that if, if nothing else, the economics of what we've been doing would say we need to think, rethink that approach. But I think on a, on a, on a substantive level, uh, even if, if we hadn't had all those expenses uh, associated with the litigation, we've come up with some pretty strange looking districts. Some of the districts clearly um, uh, have been customized to um, take care of the incumbent. And uh, they may stretch uh, as, as a couple of them do uh, across multiple counties in an effort at finding the safest niche for that particular incumbent. And, um, and, and it just, it, it leaves the, the, the whole legislative redistricting process uh, under a, a cloud of, of uh, suspicion when we, when we do things like that. Uh, all the effort that was put into the, I was only here for the last one, the one in 2011, but all the effort we put into that one, uh, and I think with some pretty good results for many of the districts, uh, they're, they're fair, they're compact, they reflect uh, uh, communities of interest, but there were those few outliers that just that make the whole thing look a little questionable. And so we want to have a system that the voter can have confidence in. And, uh, and, and that should not include uh, a criterion of, of incumbent protection. From, from my perspective, every 10 years, we take a snapshot of how the populations have shifted in New Mexico and how it may have taken people out of certain districts and moved them into others. And the whole question here is not about the rights of a legislator to be in the legislature, but it, it's the rights of the voters to vote and to have an equal vote. And if you want to encourage and increase voter participation, you wanna give them the sense that they have a voice and that they're gonna have a fair and equal opportunity to elect somebody who they perceive to be uh, somebody who would exercise judgment in their best interest. And the best way to do that is public involvement in redistricting. It only happens once every 10 years. And it's important, I think, to include the public, not only that they be heard, but they be paid attention to. And that hasn't happened in the past. What this bill does is it, it has got robust public participation. It requires us, the commission to uh, index and compile all of the public hearings and it requires justification and evaluation of every single plan that is proposed to the legislature so the public has a transparent system their involvement is required to be taken into consideration not just listened to and i i think when you give the public a voice in their right to vote you will encourage them and you will increase voter participation this is Dan McKay at the Albuquerque Journal. Could one of you, or, or more than one of you, address the pace of uh, the consideration of this legislation? Are you um, frustrated at all that, it, that it's had one hearing in the House um, uh, and no hearings yet in the Senate? Thank you. Well, the first thing is that the, the first hearing that was, uh, or the first committee it was sent to in the Senate was uh, the Senate Rules Committee. 
Um, and, uh, and that is chaired by Senator Ivy Soto, who waited, um, I'd say, maybe three, four weeks uh, without having any hearing whatsoever, and he still has the scheduled one. Uh, but then, uh, then a week and a half ago, dropped his own bill that's a return to uh, the, the purely partisan uh, legislative, uh, legislative uh, committee uh, that caused so many problems and cost the state of, you know, six or seven million dollars 10 years ago um, by, uh, you know, by having a few public meetings and going behind closed doors to, uh, to cut the state into pieces. Um, the, bill that, the bill that he has presented, for instance, uh, is a return to a committee that reflects the, uh, the majority-minority proportions of, uh, of the legislature's memberships in both houses. Um, guarantees at least one seat at the committee to a member of a minor uh, minority party um, or the minority party, you know, just in case margins are overwhelming. Um, but uh, but makes no provisions as as the chart you can see in, in on the Facebook page um, for so many of the uh, for so many of the uh, of the best practices that the uh, New Mexico First Task Force recommended. Uh, by at least an 85% vote on each issue. And uh, yes, is that frustrating? Absolutely. Um, I had a conversation this morning with, with the senator about his plans for uh, scheduling, you know, what, what, what he saw as a time frame. Uh, first, he made clear that that uh, that bill that he dropped it was not his idea. He was just, um, as a fallback, providing the same status quo kind of legislation that the um, Legislative Council has done each of the times that there have been redistricting efforts in the past, uh, but that he was not wed to it by any means. Um, he, he, I think, has the strategy of seeing if that House version of our bill comes across. And when it does, then he would see the Rules Committee taking that version and, and amending it and sending it back, that would be the one he would like to see passed out. Um, he has some problems, and I should let him speak to this, but he just raised the problem of the constitutionality of, of saying to the Senate or to the legislature, you have to accept one of these, you can't amend it. So um, uh, I'm sure that's gonna come up in the in the debate over the bill, but he, he assured me he's not trying to um, stonewall our legislation or, or delay it beyond the possibility of action. Um, I would say the entire legislature is moving very slowly this year because we have so few floor sessions. Things are all being done in the committees and they tend to be very slow. I know my own committee is moving far, far more slowly than, than we have in the past. Uh, just the, the technology and things are, 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 are wearing. But he assured me that we will get to it and his version his his strategy is to take the house version and to and to build off of that uh, to incorporate pieces from from uh, our bill that that may have been edited out in the house or whatever and then to take a look at that constitutionality question um, my take is that the senate has three referrals so waiting on that strategy really puts it toward toward the end of the calendar and so it does create problems for us and as to the constitutionality, the, the task force was very thoughtful about that. Uh, there's a case, Cobb versus State Canvassing Board, 
the legislature can delegate some of the responsibilities provided that they put standards in the legislation to cabin the discretion of the delegate. And that's what we have done. That's one of the virtues of this uh, Senate Bill 199 is that it spells out what you shall do, shall not consider, and what you may consider. And those are the standards that, uh, in my opinion, make the legislation constitutional. Uh, as, far, as far as the th three referrals, let me just speak to that. I think if he takes the House bill coming across, it doesn't have those same three referrals on it. It may only have two, and we could get it out faster. That's part of his thinking, I think. Um, can you still hear me? I have follow-up questions. Please go ahead, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Um, again, when we think about this whole notion of redistricting, you know, just speaking to the two senators are here that are here, who are here, could this change who you represent, you know, um, in terms of your own districting? Um, will that make a difference for you two? It definitely would. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's the, the essential uh, dilemma that the, that the, uh, uh, that's created when you leave it up to the incumbents to decide the, the layout of these districts. The, the temptation is, is uh, pretty strong to, to not just carve out a, a district that you're familiar with, but, but maybe to exclude from that district the residents of people who may be already lining up in opposition to your candidacy for re-election. So it, 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 it's a little, uh, it may be overblown to say it's the fox guarding the, the hen house, but it, it, it has some of that aura to it. And as the, as the justice suggested, you know, it, it does seem like we select our constituents that way rather than the constituents picking their, their representatives. So, um, um, I mean, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable in, in that because I'm in an Albuquerque district that's pretty landlocked, that, that the, the boundaries may move slightly back and forth, but essentially it's going to be 50,000 people or 51,000, whatever the number comes out, who live near me. And so I, I feel fairly comfortable about that. But if I were in a rural area and the way the, the population came out, my little island of people was surrounded by uh, empty space and I had to attach myself to some other district uh, with people that I didn't know, that would be very difficult to do. And, and I can see why, why people struggle with that. What happens if we don't pick the right legislation, if we don't pick the right committee, and the session ends by March 20th, I mean, what are the, what are the, the dire um, consequences of this for the state? Well, I'll, I'll venture on that one too. And, and the, the justice and the judge may want to jump in on this too, but I, I, I think there's no chance that we won't pass something. We'll get something out because we have to make provision for this. Um, it may not be the version that we would approve, but one way or another, we'll have money appropriated and, and, and a plan in place for uh, uh, redistricting. We have to. And then we have to have a special session to approve in by whatever manner we finally come up with uh, later in the fall. This year, because of the delay in the census, everything gets pushed back and it creates some real uh, very tight time frames. Uh, if people are hoping to run for re-election or, or, or to be, you know, a challenger for another seat, 
they need to know what district they're even going to be in. And we need to get that done in plenty of time for the uh, primary election season next year. Also, people need to know uh, the character of the districts that they uh, that they will be given. I mean, in, in the past, historically in New Mexico, um, communities of interest, which aren't necessarily racial or ethnic, but, um, you know, neighborhoods that have uh, that have common interests and stuff have been subjected to practices like cracking and packing, which is to say that if um, if a community of interest has enough uh, enough voters um, to sway an election, if they're in one district, um, they can be slip, uh, split between two. That's cracking. Um, or if uh, uh, if they're big enough to to uh, to do that, to reduce their influence um, or if they're uh, if they could be in consigned to one district um, where they would have a majority but not be able to influence two districts, um, then they're put off in, in one district um, that's known as packing to allow another district to be free. And the other thing is under the under the proposed legislation, um, the standards, uh, number one, they're best practice standards uh, across the board for redistricting, um, but, they, uh, but they have the advantage of being statutory enactments. Um, 10 years ago, the legislature uh, and under the current uh, Ivy Soto legislation uh, went under things that were nothing but guidelines, uh, which meant that the, the legislature could follow any, uh, anything that it wanted and, and one of those guidelines said that uh, specifically you could consider um, the political partisan makeup of a district and you could and you could legislate a district to protect the incumbent in it. Um, and both of those things are forbidden uh, under the uh, under the proposed legislation. And the basis for that is, um, as Kathleen said earlier, uh, letting the voters pick their representatives rather than the representatives picking uh, their voters. If neither bill passes, bottom line is there will not be meaningful public participation in redistricting. That's the bottom line. If Senate Bill 199 does not pass, there will not be laws as to what you can and cannot consider for redistricting purposes. You won't have to comply with the Open Meetings Act. You won't have to comply with the State Rules Act. You won't have to compile public data and index it so that the public is aware of what has been taken into consideration. You will not have to evaluate, ask the legislature, any of the maps that you draw. You will not have to justify them on the basis of population deviations or otherwise. You can just adopt them. And the odds of those being challenged and resulting litigation, very good. And that's millions of dollars to the taxpayers. And, and is the House Bill 211, if, if I remember the number right, is that one you also all support that's pretty much the mirror image of yours? I think there's a difference in page numbers and specifics, but they generally look alike, correct? They originated as the same bill. We have proposed some amendments after the first committee hearing that are, are really going to improve the bill, actually. Uh, and, and, fr and frankly, not anything too drastic. But it does improve the bill. I, uh, I'm not sure that the senator has seen them, uh, the proposed amendments, but the bill is going to be much improved as a result of some of it. And we've changed the date. That's a big thing. Uh, we've gone from April 1st, beginning the commission, to July 1st. The reason for that is, is we've learned that the Federal Bureau of Census 
will not be relating to Sentinel census data until the end of September. So there's no point in beginning in April. We'll begin in July so that the commission can form itself, educate itself on redistricting principles, get the data, hold public meetings, give 30 days notice, etc. So that's really what took place. We've streamlined the appellate process so that hopefully we can have any litigation over the, the plans take place before the legislature even uh, deliberates which uh, plans to adopt. And beyond that, we're, uh, we've asked the commission to submit three to five plans to the legislature for each elective body. And so if one plan is appealed, and even if it's annulled by the Supreme Court, there's still four uh, plans that were not challenged from which uh, the legislature could choose. Well, what's next in terms of getting this scheduled? Um, you know, the press calls up certain senators and says, what's going on? What can we do to, to move this along quicker based on the fact that as of today, we're halfway through the session? Well, it, it, it really is, is going to be in the hands of the, the Rules Committee. That's where whatever comes out of the House will be referred. That's where both bills now sit. So there's plenty of time to operate on this. Let's say the House bill comes across next week, toward the end of next week. And I don't know how close it is to passage, but conceivably it could come across next week. A hearing could be held the following week in which we take a look at all three of the, uh, of the bills and act in the Rules Committee. And because it would be a House bill that's being amended, it wouldn't have the three referrals, you know, the referrals to three separate committees that the Senate version has. We might be able to, and I'm not sure why finance would be involved in it. We would just go straight to judiciary, get it through judiciary and go to the floor. It's already passed the House. All it has to do is pass the Senate floor, and then a conference committee would would um, deal with any changes that we've made to it. So there's plenty of time still. I know we would like to get it done long before the end of the session, but you know how these things work. Uh, the last few days is when most of the action happens, unfortunately, and it looks like we're headed that way as well. Um, good. I, I have more thoughts and questions, but they may have to wait. I'm assuming I could reach out to Kathleen later and try to touch you base. Can. Thank you. And you're, if, if no one else from the press has questions, you could continue as well. Oh, I have a question. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So I'm Marilee. I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself at the beginning, but I was trying to figure out how to, how to get clicked on correctly. But anyway, um, Having been through a redistricting session myself, uh, I was a long time ago, I was the spouse of a legislator and uh, and that was the 1991 or two, whatever that was, redistricting session. And um, I'm aware the this redistricting proposal works to the disadvantage of most incumbent legislators. So if they are thinking from their personal advantage perspective rather than uh, the necessarily best interests of the state, then they may have a problem with it. And how do you overcome that? Well, I, I'm not sure I accept your premise, uh, Marilee. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I mean, a know, lot of, uh, they already have, what did you say, Kathleen? Uh, 30 co-sponsors in the in the house 
So yep. there's there's a, there's a considerable momentum built up behind this, and and we have a lot of new faces. Uh, you know, in the Senate we have between the Republicans and the Democrats. I forget now. I think it's eleven or twelve of the senators are brand new. Mm-hmm. The vast majority have never been through even one redistricting because uh, the turnover has been pretty significant over the last right. few years. And so I think the, the notion that, 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 that we know what to do and, and we'll get it all done, we're feeling our way in the, in the, in the legislature. And this, I think, offers a, a rational, uh, legally defensible approach, one that complies with the federal law. And I think there's going to be a lot of acceptance for it. But I mean, I, I certainly have thought that about other bills I've carried in the past and been uh, surprised at the reaction. But I think this time there really is, uh, particularly among the younger legislators, the, the newer legislators, a sense that this is really this is really a, a reasonable approach. This is something that could work. Other states have made it work. Why can't we? Do you see any relationship between this and the open primaries bill? Are they are they are they linked in some fashion, as far as you can see? Uh, well, it's not obvious to me what that would be, so I, I okay. don't see a, a necessary connection. No. Okay. Yeah, it's not obvious to me either. Although I I would say that uh, the citizens of New Mexico ought to take a look at any election or voter legislation that is going through to make sure that what it is doing is encouraging and increasing voter participation. That, to me, is the prism from which people ought to be looking at this legislation. As far as incumbents being concerned or existing legislators, I don't know. I, I, I refer to these, this bill as a, a golden rule piece of legislation. When I say golden rule, I'm not saying that it's those who have a gold right to rule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it's those who want to do unto others what they would have them do unto themselves. It's the golden rule that I'm talking about is, is the thorn in the side of power. It's the golden rule that the moral core is of true patriotism. And true patriotism is not somebody who thinks first about themselves or about the electoral or, or partisan advantage. It's the ones who think about the voters. And those are the legislators that are usually taken care of anyway, regardless of population shifts. Hi, Mike Daly here. Can I, can I speak? Sure. Thanks. Um, a thought from years ago in, New, in, excuse me, in Texas, they needed uh, a bunch of judicial reform, and it was really going to be difficult. The legislators were dug in on one side, and the group that wanted that to happen, they managed to get 3,000 people or so in each one of the representatives <laughs> district. And then they asked for a commitment. And when they when one of the representatives wavered, they got a hold of those 3000 people who called that representative. And I don't know that you have time or probably the, the ability to develop that much resource in this time. But it would be good if you had a web page and showed who's in support, who's against, what the common arguments against are, and the answers to those, allowing people then to say, okay, Senator X, we want you to support this, and your argument for so-and-so, we're, we're just not really enthused about that, and just lean on them. 
And, and Judge Chavez, your yes. points, I thought were the most cogent, uh, well-disciplined. Uh, somehow I'd like to get a copy of those. I'll put them in an article. Thank you. Mr. Daly, thank you for your comments. Um, just uh, as an aside, Fair District New Mexico does have 25 partner organizations in New Mexico. And those 25 organizations comprise about 40,000 New Mexicans. We stay in touch with our partner organizations uh, frequently. We're in touch with them just about every other day currently. And we are asking them and their members to contact the various committee members um, as we move this legislation through. Um, so, so we are doing some, some of what you've asked for, and I would refer you to our website as well to see, we do have a lot of resources there. And um, I have your email address and I'll contact you uh, further to get you more information. More questions from the press, anyone? Questions from the public, anyone? You know, what we're seeing so much of in the, in the press um, are articles from all over the country about how um, how the right to vote is uh, is a subject of people trying to restrict it um, in very very many ways and uh, and in very very many places and uh, you know and we have seen what happens in, in a number of states where concerted efforts to give people uh, their voice and to make people interested in uh, in having their say um, at the ballot box, um, have captured the have captured people's imaginations, and giving the, that opportunity in New Mexico, where it has not existed so much previously, um, was the uh, was the impetus behind uh, New Mexico First uh, to convene the task force, and uh, was very much in the in the mind of this of this task force, which was about as diverse as I could imagine, um, to make sure that uh, you know, that that every community. And every voice could have it uh, could have its its point made in the uh, in the in the halls of power. Yeah, that's that's where they belong. Okay. Any more questions before we wrap up? Feel free. Anyone? Kathleen, may I say something, Leonard Gorman? Yes, please, Mr. Gorman. Please do. And thank you uh, to the panelists. Uh, we've seen one another for a couple of weeks uh, last year. Nice to see you all again. Um, my name is Leonard Gorman, and I'm executive director for the Navajo Nation Human Rights Commission. And I've been a party uh, to uh, participating in the redistricting task force for several weeks uh, late last year and formulating recommendations and talking about these recommendations with the task force. I think principally <clears throat> the number one uh, issue here as my office experiences redistricting um, the past 10 years ago, is the vast difference between um, the Navajo people that live on the Arizona side and also uh, the New Mexico side. Um, the Arizona side, it's um, very simple to the point. Uh, we don't start off with where we left off uh, 10 years ago uh, that the New Mexico does and we are essentially a zero-based redistricting activity. We scrap all of the previous plans and start from zero base and develop again. Uh, and we use different mechanisms, specifically like the um, census blocks to draw districts. 
And on New Mexico's side, it's very clear uh, the vast difference is that you have, there's a very strong tendency uh, to leave the public uh, out because the legislature does most of the work. And that causes tremendous amount of challenges uh, from the public, including uh, the Navajo Nation, where it raises very strong concerns about how the districts are being designed. And it, it affects uh, how uh, Navajo voters uh, are left out at the whole process. And I think that's the reason why my office began to associate with the redistricting task force so that uh, incumbency uh, consideration in redistricting is not the foremost consideration in when redistricting happens. And second, that there has to be some other mechanism employed to redistrict, which is the use of census blocks. Uh, New Mexico uses precinct boundaries, uh, picking up chunks of population to draw the, the election districts. For Navajo, I think Senator Pinto sort of uh, clearly stated in the, uh, in the task force meeting, Navajo Nation chapters are totally left out of the process of, of not only redistricting but when redistricting is implemented, uh, Navajo chapters and local governing bodies really are dissect in a manner in which they don't have the ability to have a say in the process of uh, electing their, their representatives uh, as, rep as members of their communities uh, uh, really resort to the local governments to get more information. So I think those are some of the reasons why uh, on, on a Navajo local community base, uh, my office got involved in the redistricting uh, task force. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gorman. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I hear your voice. It sure is. Yeah. And I would just like to ask the, the justice and the judge and the senator, uh, would not the, the, um, the chapters be considered communities of interest? Certainly. Actually, the, the last redistricting, our court, the Supreme Court, affirmed what the district court said about it. Uh, they were considered communities of interest and qualified under the VRA. And so they, they would continue to hold that status in my mind. And the way I envisioned the commission to work <coughs> is they would be invited to input into the first six meetings where they would be identified as communities of interest where they could share with us their concerns about their interests. Uh, I would also encourage, by the way, the Native American population, partic particularly the Navajo Nation, to look at the county clerks because the county clerks are the ones that redraw the precincts based on statute. But the public has a right to participate and the public has a right to challenge some of those precincts. So it, it's, it's so important for the voters of New Mexico to understand the entire process. Even the Federal Census Bureau, five, after five years, you're sending information to the Census Bureau as a state, build off of what the county clerks do and the Secretary of State approves. We've got to get our voters engaged throughout the decade, is my perspective. Well, that leads me to a follow-up question, if I can still get in here. When we hear of public meetings, are we talking about a sign, town hall tonight, six o'clock, everyone's welcome? Or are we talking that you'll be inviting in 
community leaders from different districts, hopefully Native American, Latino communities, you know, everybody, farmers. Um, does public meetings mean anybody can show up? I'll tell you, the, the, my, the, the vision that I have based on the legislation is that the commission will give 30 days notice. That's not required under the Open Meetings Act. Only 10 days would be required. We'll give 30 days notice. I would recommend to, to the commission that they send out letters to previously recognized communities of interest to um, special organizations. Let me use Maldif as an example. Those organizations that advocate on behalf of voters uh, and that you engage everybody. You actively invite them. Whole idea is to have a minimum of six meetings and to do it regionally. Now we have in the legislation that we can do it virtually. We're adding an amendment that says, if required by law, uh, I don't know how the Senator feels about it, but uh, I think public participation, when you can be there in public uh, is better. And so, yeah, we'll be traveling around, but uh, we will be recording every meeting. We'll be indexing, compiling, maintaining and making available to public all of the commentary uh, that is offered. Uh, so it's not going to be just a, a notice like in the New Mexico register <laughs> that nobody probably reads. Uh, no offense to anybody, but it, it will be public notice. And I think you, you ought to write to uh, folks that you know are definitely interested. We want public input through this bill. That's that's the genesis of, of the bill, as Mr. Leonard said, Mr. Gorman. I, I would just note that the last time, 10 years ago, we had probably 12 or 13 community meetings around the state and took in enormous amount of public input. The trick is, what do you do with it after you've taken it in? And, and that's where the commission, I think, would be motivated to actually use that input in formulating the maps. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't do much of that 10 years ago. We took it in, boxed it up neatly, tied a ribbon around it, set it aside, and got on with the dirty work of making the districts. You know, under the new, new legislation that's proposed, I mean, even the New Mexico Newspaper Association could get together draw its own maps and there's plenty of software out there for free that lets you do it to a, an amazingly detailed degree and propose and propose your maps as a group to the uh, to the redistricting commission and have it considered along with anybody else's map um, you know in uh, in Utah where the commission exists um, you know an outside private map changed uh, changed the school districts in the entire state uh, for being a better map um, that has happened and, you know, that's happened elsewhere as well. Um, and again, that is bringing a fundamental process, not well understood, this redistricting stuff, um, straight to the people. And uh, unlike having, you know, a whole bunch of meetings going back to a closed room, um, under the redistricting plan, everything's subject to the Open Meetings Act and all the records are transparent. Thank you, Judge Kennedy. Any more questions from the media? 
Well, with no further questions, I think that um, a lot of people here probably need to get back to their busy lives. So we can wrap this up. I want to say a special thank you, Senator Ortiz Pino, for showing up with us today and bringing us some very valuable information. Thank you. Justice Chavez, thank you again. And Judge Kennedy, thank you very much. I also want to give special thanks out to uh, Vox Optima, Merritt Allen, uh, for your participation, for your help with this, and also to New Mexico First for helping present this, uh, this uh, press conference for us today. Uh, you can reach us at uh, the, um, the website is in the chat. Feel free to reach out. My contact information is there at the bottom of the homepage. I would love to hear from you. And please stay, please stay on top. You can check the, our website daily for updates. You can also check the NM Legis website out and follow the bills that we've talked about today. Again, thank you, everyone. We wish you an excellent rest of the session, and we look forward to some more successes down the road.